ask you if you'd open your Bible uh, this morning with me to the book of James. The book of James. Chapter 1, James chapter 1. There's so much, <laughs> there's so much uh, that we're learning in uh, James, and there's so much that I'd like to uh, um, convey about what God wants to accomplish in your life, in my life, in our lives. We, um, Brother John, when he finished the Sunday school uh, lesson this morning, he said, each, each week I think perhaps this will be our last Sunday in Colossians chapter 1. And uh, I happen to, uh, the, way, the way our notes are uploaded uh, to the server, um, if you have access to that server, you can access, we can access each other's notes. And so I have access to John's notes as he's teaching Sunday school. I can actually see the notes that he's using for his Sunday school and every Sunday I kind of have a little smirk on my face as I realize that he's in any faster than I am as he's going through his notes. And, um, and, and, he, so, and, he, and he expressed that and I said, you know, it really, the thing about wanting uh, people to lay hold of what the Word of God says is that you don't really have any interest in accomplishing a certain amount or in uh, making your three points, if you understand what I'm saying. You simply want to express what the passage says in the context, in its context, so that when you're, so when your confidence later is in what the passage says, your confidence isn't in what we made it look like the passage said, but your confidence is in what the passage actually says. Because it doesn't matter what a preacher or teacher thinks about the Word of God. What matters is what does the Word of God actually say? The difficulty with the Pharisees, the Pharisees could quote almost all of the entire Old Testament, and yet they had no real understanding of what it was that they had memorized. And I don't mean this as in they, they weren't smart. They were extremely intelligent men. And I really would say that we have missed, we Baptists, have missed this for many years and, and, and thought that if our expression of this was clever, if our understanding of it was excellent, that somehow that was to the advantage of the hearer, but it really isn't. Uh, in one of the hymns that we sang this morning, uh, it dealt with the, uh, uh, my richest gain, I, I count but loss, and I pour contempt on all my pride. All, all you need, all you need is the God of this Bible and this Bible. That's all you need. All you need is the God, and listen, listen, what I want you to understand, listen, I am not here this morning to bring God close to you. And I'm not here this morning to bring you close to God, if you understand. I'm here this morning to express what the Word of God says because He wants you to know it. But the point, the, the, the whole idea behind the ministry, behind a pastor, behind teachers, is that you would um, uh, be encouraged in your heart and exercised in your inner being to realize God wants a relationship with me. God, my God loves me. My God died for me. God, listen, God is on your side. 
God is on your side. And what I mean by this is this. It is God's, not God's will. God is not willing that any should perish. None. But that all, there are two things he says after that. One, that all should come unto repentance and that all should come unto a knowledge of the truth. God desires that you would understand and that you would repent of your understanding. It's a remarkable thing. God wants you to realize that you don't realize. God wants you to know, just like Nicodemus, that you don't know. God wants you to understand that you have had thoughts about him that were very low thoughts, very, very low thoughts, and that his love for you is far greater than you have ever imagined, that he has far greater things that he wants to accomplish in your life and in my life. Now listen, when I say that there are far greater things that God wants to accomplish in your life and my life, we hear those words and we think religious service. That's not what God thinks. God thinks daily life. God says, this is what I want to do in your life. Now we, in James, chapter, in James chapter 1, in the book of James, we are in the second, the second general epistle, all right? So if you, if you take your Bible and just hold it in James and just look at how much is over here and how much is over here, and ironically, if you have any concordance or maps in your Bible, there's a, probably about half of what's left there isn't even Bible. It's concordance or maps. Do you understand? So we're very close to the end. What's coming after this, after this section, after the general epistles, there's only one book left, and it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is the consummation of all of God's promises. It is the wrapping up of all of this, the putting away of all wickedness, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to make a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. How many of you, as the choir was singing that song this morning, were just aware, you know, uh, there are many hymns that make reference to crossing over Jordan like going to heaven. And, and, and that's, not really, that's not really the picture in the Word of God. Crossing over Jordan is entering into the will of God for your life. And crossing over Jordan is something, listen, entering into the will of God for your life is something you can't do on your own any more than they could have crossed over Jordan on their own. But I was thinking this morning as they were singing the song, as it, it talks about standing at the edge of the river and looking across to the other side. Th that river is not Jordan. This is a, listen, it's a remarkable, because we're talking about death, but we're not talking about death. We're talking about simply to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And for the child of God, for the saint, for the born-again Christian, literally looking across the river that would be leaving this life and going into the next life is a beautiful sight. And just recognize, you know, it says, it says there's just a few more days to labor, then I shall take my final flight I'm leaving. I'm going, I'm going, I'm going to the place that God has promised that he went to make a place for me and for all of his children. And this is, listen, boy, I wish I could, I hope you'd understand this. This is not religion. This is, listen, this is not Christianity religion. This is not a Baptist view of that idea. This is, this is the very reality of your future. You are going to die and you're going to leave this world, but you're going to exist after this. Some of you here this morning, listen, some of you here this morning, you're not ready to leave. You're not ready to leave. Buddy, Buddy Rock, who, uh, I don't know how old, anybody know how old Buddy is right now? Old, right? <laughs> right? I mean, there's, there's old, there's old, there's old, and there's dirt old, okay? 
and, and Buddy Rock is dirt old. I mean, I, and I say that um, recognizing that you're aware of just how old he is. He came to the tent meeting two years ago. He, he came. You know, we invite, you know, we invite our entire community when we have a, a, these functions. And it's, it's remarkable how little response there is, by the way, to the invitations that go out inviting people to come. But he came. He, but he came, listen, he came because his older brother, who was like 94, and I'm not exaggerating, his 94-year-old brother said to him, buddy, you're getting old, you're going to die, and you're going to go to hell. So two years ago, Buddy Rock drove into the church parking lot in the middle of the day and wanted to talk to someone. And he and I talked for an extended period of time. He came to the tent meeting, and, he, and we went to visit him, right? We visited him regularly. Uh, his wife was sick. His wife was, was dying. And we were spending time with him. And he said, uh, she said, she was, a, she was born again. She said, would you, would you mind if we spent these last uh, few weeks together alone quietly? And they did. And she died. He didn't ask us to come back. He didn't really want us to come back. This year, two years later, two years later, he came over just before the tent meeting because, again, we had canvassed the area. He lives across the street. He came over, and listen, he came over to me to apologize for not wanting us to come back. He apologized to us for not wanting us to come back and see him. And he said, can I still come to the tent meeting? Of course you can come, buddy. We love you. Amen? He came. He came, and God dealt with him. Brother Ed Elliott, who's a, who, I mean, uh, Buddy Rock and Ed Elliott are lifelong friends. They talked afterwards. He asked Ed Elliott, would you do my funeral when I die? And Ed Elliott said, Buddy, listen, what will I say at your funeral? And Buddy said, well, I'm not, I'm not ready to die. I'm not ready to die. He said, well, you heard the message this evening. What do you say to that message? And this is what he said. I'm not ready. I'm not ready to receive this. It's an old man. A really, really old man. He came back the next night. Uh, Ed Elliott called me. He said, Pastor, I won't be there for the next couple of days. I've got to be up in Richmond. He said, but I think Buddy Rock might come back. And he told me about their conversation, what happened the night before. So the service was over. He came up. I don't remember. I, uh, I had given him some books. When I went over to see his wife, I had given him some books. Hudson Taylor was, you know, was one of the books. And, and uh, as it worked out, uh, Rick Whitlow mentioned Hudson Taylor in his message. So he gets so funny. So this is a really old man who's like going to die anytime. And he comes up and he says, you know, he mentioned that guy Hudson Taylor. And I said, yeah, he did. And he said, remember, he's one of those books that you gave us when you came over. I said, yeah, I remember that. And he said, I've been reading those books. I said, okay. So we sat there quietly. It's like, are we going to talk about the weather next? You know? I said, uh, you talked to Brother Ed Elliott last night. And he said, yeah. He said, uh, I was thinking about the message. He said, uh, I'm uh, not ready to die. He said, but I believe what that man preached tonight. He said, I believe I'm a sinner. And I believe I'm going to die. But I believe that what he said about God wanting to save me is true. And I said, buddy, you can ask him. 
And he took my, just took my hand. We were sitting side by side in two of those old rickety 700-pound chairs that we use for the tent meeting. And he took my hand, and he just, he just confessed he was a sinner and asked God to save him. Amen? And he's been coming. It's funny, he can't come in the morning. He's not here this morning. He'll be here tonight. It's funny, there aren't, there aren't a lot of people who don't go to church on Sunday morning that do go to church on Sunday night. But it's hard for him to get around in the morning. It's hard for him to get around anyway, but it's really hard for him to get around. It takes a while for him to, you know, warm up, if you will. I don't know why with the weather like it is, but it takes a little while for him to, to warm up and to come out. Listen, I say that because the book of James is given to you as the second general epistle to find out what you really have. See, these are the reality epistles. Starting in the book of Hebrews, God says, listen, I've talked to you about the message of promise. I've talked to you about, I've explained, by the way, I've explained the message of promise. I've explained the messengers of the promise. Now I want to talk to you about the reality of that promise in your life. Listen, understand this. The book of Acts reveals that the Bible is not supposed to be explained to lost people. The Bible is to be proclaimed to lost people. The gospel is not to be explained to unsaved people. The gospel is to be explained to those that have already been saved. Because when you get saved, you don't know what happened. You don't, know how, you don't know what's going on. You don't really know God. All you knew was this. I felt guilty, which, by the way, praise God for a conscience. Praise God for the power of the Holy Ghost to convict sinners of sin. I was guilty. I suddenly realized that Jesus of Nazareth is indeed the Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he came literally to live a perfect life and then to take that life and pay for my sins with his blood. And I need that salvation. And you received it. Praise God. Because you don't need to know anything. You just need to trust Christ to get saved. But now you want to live? You want to live according to the gospel? God says, let me help you understand what that means. Let me help you understand what, let me tell you what's happened. Let me tell you about how you're a new creature. Let me tell you about all the changes that I've already made in your life that you're just now catching up with in your little pea brain. Let me tell you about these things because I'm going to conform you now to the image of my son. I'm going to so change you that the people around you are going to marvel knowing what you were. They're going to marvel at what you become because you don't have the power to do this, but I have the power to do this. And God talks to us about what the promises are in his word in, in, in the starting in Romans. You know, in Acts, he proclaims these things. In Romans, he starts to explain these things. And so in the church epistles, he talks about the message of the promises of God. And then starting in the pastoral epistles, he said, now let, let me talk to you a little bit about the church. Why is there a church? Why is there a preacher? Why are there teachers? Why do we do these things this way? Understand, this is what we're doing. With the end of the commandment, the goal of all of this is love, charity out of a pure heart and a good conscience and faith unfeigned. Let me explain that to you. Let me help you understand what it means to assemble together, why you assemble. If you're assembled this morning to be justified, you're not justified. You're not justified. We are not justified by our assembly. We are not justified by our good works. We are not justified by anything that we do. We are justified by the blood or you're not justified at all. But if you're justified by the blood, if you are a new creature, then things have changed. You have a new heart's desire. You want things you never wanted before and you don't understand them. And the, uh, Romans chapter 7 makes it really clear that you don't understand them because you double down on, on trying. I want to please God. I want to do a good job. I'm going to do a better job tomorrow than I did today. And God says, yep, and you'll fail over and over and over and over that way. Don't walk after your flesh. Don't try to do this in your own strength. Let the Holy Ghost do this in your life. 
Again, again, it's impossible to mention the Holy Ghost without saying to the people in America, the charismatic movement is wrong about what the Holy Ghost is. Wrong, wrong in a terrible way. The Holy Ghost is not babbling. The Holy Ghost is not foaming at the mouth. The Holy Ghost is not bopping people on the forehead. The Holy Ghost lives within you to produce the fruit of the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, meekness, temperance. Amen? God wants to make you a miraculously, wonderfully kind, peaceful, loving person. You say, well, that's just normal. Well, it isn't normal. I almost, I almost never see it anywhere. God wants to give you victory in the midst of the storms of life. Now, now, in the book of Hebrews, the first general epistle where he deals with the reality, listen, he says, let me tell you what the reality is first. Let me tell you what the heavenly reality is first. You have a great high priest. He ever liveth to make intercession for you. You can never do anything wrong and he'll leave you. Never, 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 never. I, am, I have worked everything out perfectly for you. But the book of Hebrews ends with this. He's going to change everything in your life. The book of Hebrews says, I'm going to give you, listen, I'm going to give you a whole new quality of life. Everything's going to be different. And then you come to the book of James. And now that's where we are this morning. And the book of James, what God says in the book of James is, I'm going to give you this whole new life in your everyday life. Life. Let me just let me share this with you. Rich Carazzoni got saved recently. Sitting right there. Rich, raise your hand if you would. Rich Carazzoni got saved recently. Praise God. Amen. His family, his extended family, already sees a difference in his life. Already sees a difference in his life. I'm sure his immediate family already sees a difference in his life. But he grew up. He grew up uh, up in up in the New York, New Jersey area where Catholic is Catholic, right? His grandmother was here two weeks ago, last week, last week. Sat right about where he is right now. I didn't know she wasn't saved. She was paying attention. And I mean, I'm talking about leaning forward with a smile on her face while we were preaching the gospel. She, she, she talked to him. She came back for the evening service. She talked to him about, about how wonderful it was to hear that God would and wanted to forgive of sins. Amen? She's just trying to square this with all the things that she's ever heard in her life when she went to church. And here's the thing, you can't. You can't. And listen, I'm not picking on the Catholic church. You can't square the things that God wants to say with most churches in America. You can't, by the way, listen, you're going to think I'm being mean, but you can't square what God says in his word with what most Baptist churches in America are saying. What God is saying is this, I love you. I love you. You don't have to be like that anymore. You don't have to be like that anymore. I've been saved for 30 years. And listen, listen, and I am, and I am grateful. I was really changed. I was really born again. I was really saved. The people that knew me before saw the difference afterwards. But I have been too much like I used to be. And not enough like what God wants me to be. And here's why. Listen, I mean this with all my heart. Because I misunderstood the energy and the effort that I didn't have. 
You can assent, you can agree, you can think, yeah, God is right about all those things, and i got to repent about all those things, and I do repent about all those things, and I'm not going to try my own strength anymore. I'm going to walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. But you don't know what that means. You don't understand what it means to walk after the Spirit instead of after the flesh. Because all you can process through your mind is what you already know. And so listen, there are people here today who aren't even born again. And when I talk about walking after the Spirit, you think, yeah, i got to be better religious. And that's not what God wants. Listen, listen. When you finally fail in trying, you will find success in dying. That's it. I'm dead. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And praise God, listen, and praise God, Christ liveth in me. Christ, listen, what's better than God with us? God in you. That's better than God with you. Amen? What's better? Jesus said it is expedient for you that I go away. Why? Because the only thing better than Jesus living on the earth with us is Jesus, Jesus living inside you instead. And that's what happens. Listen, that's what, when the Holy Ghost came, that's what happened. The Holy Ghost didn't come and live beside the apostles. The Holy Ghost came and lived within the apostles. God living within us, making us what we could never be on our own. Now listen, listen, listen. The book of James is, what the book of James is saying is this. Failure is not an option. Failure, listen, 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 listen. Failure is your only option in your own strength. But failure is not an option for a new child of God. It's not, it's not. Now listen, don't misunderstand me. I'm not telling you to try harder. I'm telling you God says failure is not an option where I live. Where I live, I'm going to change everything. I'm going to, now listen. There are many Christians who never enter into this. Many born-again Christians who never truly begin to live the life that God wants them to live because they're always wanting in their pride to have something to show off. But here's the thing. Where God is really at work, you have nothing to show off. Except for this. Jesus is awesome. That's it. The only thing you will ever brag about as God is at work in your life is God. That's it. I just Listen, not about you go to church. Not about the God of your church. You'll just brag about God. God loves me. God has changed me. I am not worthy. I don't know why. I still don't know why God loves me. I mean, I mean that with all my heart. I have no idea why God loves me. None. Not, 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 not a little bit. But I do know this. God does love me. He does love you. And listen, you say, I don't think I'm saved. He still loves you. He loves you. For God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus Christ came to save you from your sins. He came to save you and change you and then to live within you and make you a whole new man or woman. Amen? That's what the book of James is. You know, the funny thing is we haven't even started, I haven't even read anything yet. But it's critical that you understand we're not reading a book of how to. We're not reading a book of do this, don't do that. What we're reading is God is saying, I'm going, where I am, I'm going to make a difference. And I intend to make a difference and to prove it to you. God is not proving whether you're a Christian to him or not. He already knows whether you're a Christian or not. God is proving to you whether you're really a Christian or not. Again, let me give you the testimony of Andrew, who's sitting right there. Andrew Pearson, raise your hand if you don't mind. Andrew Pearson sitting in our dining room, at our dining room table, reading uh, 1 John. Dad, what's the book of 1 John for? And he knows what the book of 1 John is for. It's, because, it's so that you will know that you're born again. And he said, well, Dad, what if you're reading it and you don't know? What if you're reading it and it doesn't say that you're born again? He's a smart guy. He's going to be a doctor, right? You're probably not born again, Andrew. So two years ago at a tent meeting, 
he got saved. Amen? Amen? Because this is what happens. If you will let the word of God... Listen, I'm telling you, there are people here today who don't read their Bible very long because the Bible starts to tell on them. It is a mirror. It starts to point out what's really going on. And you will run away from the mirror. This book is the very book that talks about running away from the mirror. You cannot run away from the word of God. Let the word of God convince you what's really true. Let it. Please let it. Because here's the real truth. As bad as it is, in reality, Christ says, oh, but in reality, I came to save that exact sinner. Amen? You say, but I've been playing church for a long, long time. Patty Crump, amen? Patty Crump. I mean, we can still see Patty Crump walking down, patting herself on the chest and saying, it's me, preacher. It's me. It's my pride that's kept me from being saved. It's my pride that kept me from being saved. It's amazing, isn't it? How many years did Patty pretend to be something that she wasn't? And God saved her anyway. And God saved her anyway. Because even though she's the daughter of missionaries, you don't get to go to heaven being the daughter of missionaries. You don't. you got to be a child of God. And you cannot be born of your parents, and you cannot be born of the preacher, and you cannot be born of the church. You must be born of God. You must be born of God. You must be born of God. And this book, James, so let's start reading it. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you find yourself fall, when you when ye fall into diverse temptations. God says right at the very beginning, listen, you are now a new creature. You find yourself tempted in ways that you never knew you were ever going to be tempted before. These things were true in your life before, but they were your friends before, but they're not your friends anymore. And so now you find yourself falling. It's the same exact Greek word that's used when, when the Samaritan, when the, when the man who was traveling through Samaria fell among many thieves and they robbed him. They beat him and they robbed him. Listen, you're not falling, tripping into sin. That's not what this is saying. This is saying you suddenly find yourself surrounded by diverse temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Again, we've all learned this word, right? Patience. The, the idea behind perfect, I mean, perfect is not without flaw. It means to be complete. It means to reach the goal is the, is the actual idea. When Jesus says to tell us die, he's saying, I have reached the goal. I have accomplished what needs to be accomplished. So what God is saying is this. Listen, listen. Here, listen, hear me, hear me. When you're a baby Christian and temptation comes and you fight it and you fail, you learn. You learn. I can't fight this. Nope, you can't. Here's what I'll do. I'll fight harder. And you'll fail. And here's what you'll do. You'll go to Lifeway and you'll buy a book, a how-to book. And now you'll fight really hard. And you'll fall really hard. And you'll fail. And God says this, listen. Listen, this is a tremendous blessing. The fact that you care at all, be happy. Be happy that you care at all. Now listen, now listen. Now stop fighting in your own strength. Right? Be happy that you care at all. I, I, listen, I, I couldn't believe what a jerk I was when I got saved. You, you all understand it better than I do, right? 
I couldn't believe all the things that were so terribly wrong with me. It's like, I mean, listen, there's a passage that God says that he has foreordained good works that we should walk therein. I remember reading that and thinking, well, praise God, I'm going to do something right. Because I was beginning to wonder if I was ever going to do anything right. And I love Jesus. I mean, I, I love to, with all my heart and soul, he is awesome. He saved me. He washed me in his own blood. He has done everything. If I understand my Bible, he's going to literally carry me all the way home. He's, he's wonderful. He deserves my all. I'm going to serve him. By the way, you know what? I did not become a pastor to serve Jesus. I was called to be a pastor. I was serving Jesus when I was an engineer. I was content to serve Jesus as an engineer and to teach Sunday school and do whatever God would have me. I was content to do that. God called me. Listen, he called me to be a pastor not because I'm a great person. In fact, I don't know why he called me any more than I know why he loves me. But God is at work in our lives, and he said, I am doing these. I am the author of these things. I am the one doing these things. Let me do it. Let me do it. And here's the thing. Let me say this. When you realize this, it says, count it all joy when you're going through different things. Why? Because you care. Now, knowing this, by the way, here's what, notice this, what it says. The trying of your faith worketh patience. And here's what you start realizing. What is the trying of your faith? Look at me. Look at me. Trying of your faith is who do you trust? You or God? Yes? Yes? Do you know how many Christians, you know, listen, do you know how many truly born again Christians don't trust God like they ought to? Here's the answer all of them. All of them. But you can trust Him. You can trust Him. He is trustworthy. Amen? Amen? So here's what He does. Here's what He does. You want to have victory in your life? You want to have, really, do, would you like to have victory in your life? And the answer is trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. Now let's, let's keep reading. But let patience have a perfect work. That you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, if you don't understand what's going on, if you don't know how to do the next step, if you lack wisdom at all, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally. And this literally means that he doesn't joke about this and that he sincerely does this and that he does so with both hands. Okay? If you need something, ask God. God will not taunt you. He will not hold the thing that you need in front of you and say, don't you wish you had some of this? If you will simply ask him, it says he will give it to you with both hands. He will sincerely and honestly dispense this into your life. But notice what it says after that. And it shall be given him. Verse 6. But let him ask in faith. Now asking in faith is that same trying of your faith that we were talking about before. Listen, let me tell you something. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Read George Mueller. Read George Mueller's life. Read about George Mueller's life. Here's what you'll, here's what you'll find out when you read about George Mueller's life. I don't know how to pray, and I don't trust God. Read Andrew Murray. Read about Andrew Murray's life. Read Hudson Taylor. Read about Hudson Taylor, Amy Carmichael. There are a lot of, listen, listen. They were not giants of, of the faith. They just believed God. Yes? Listen, listen. I heard somebody, somebody actually asked me this. Where is the God of Elisha? Somebody actually asked me this when I was working as an engineer. Where is the God of Elisha? And this was my answer. Where's Elisha? Where's Elisha? Do you understand what I mean when I say that? Where's the God of Elisha? He's just waiting for somebody to trust him, like Elisha trusted him. Do you understand that? God would work, listen, here's the thing. God would work mightily in all our lives if we'd let him. Just let him. He wants to work so mightily in our lives. He has made such tremendous changes in so many of our lives. And, I'm, and I mean this with all my heart. I am so thankful for what God has done in our hearts and lives. But there are so many children of God who are living on crumbs. 
Not understanding that he wants to, with both hands, give you an understanding of what to ask for, what to do, how to do these things. The strength to be able to perform the things that you have no strength to be able to perform. This is what he's saying to us. Now notice what he says. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. And again, the word wavering, you need to write this in your margin. The word wavering, the idea behind the word wavering isn't simply to vacillate. The idea is this, to measure it while it's happening. Do you you understand what I'm saying? So here's what happens. You pray, but you don't trust God unless you think it's easy enough to be done. Do you understand? Let me picture this for you. Let Let me give you a picture of this. Here comes Goliath out onto the battlefield. Yes, right? Goliath is a big dude. Right? And he's a giant. Literally, he's literally a giant. He has a weaver's beam for a spear. And he stands out there and he literally insults Israel, the nation of Israel, and the God of Israel, and says, Come on out, any of you, any of you, send out a man who will fight with me and who will go out? Nobody. Listen, listen, and this is why because he's too big. He's just too big. Listen, it would be okay. Because it would just be, you know, when I was a boy, when you got, when you're getting ready to get in a, not, you guys shouldn't get in fights, but when I, I lived a different life when I was a young person. But this was, this was a statement just before you're getting ready to get in a fight. Don't let anything but fear and common sense keep you from starting this. You see what I'm saying? And you would say that. The idea was you don't want to start this because you can't finish it. They wouldn't walk out and fight with Goliath because they knew they couldn't beat him. David comes and David's bringing sandwiches, Right? Right? I mean, can you picture it? David's coming to give his older brothers some sandwiches that his dad said, hey, take this to your brothers. So he shows up and he's got a picnic lunch. And he's standing there and he looks out in the field and he hears Goliath out there roaring his insults at Israel. And what is his response? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine to insult the army of the living God? Right? This is what he says. I'll go kill him. He's a boy. I'll go kill him. Why does he feel that way? He's already killed a bear. He's already killed a lion. He has literally already killed a bear. He's already killed a lion. How? How can he do that? Because the bear's not God. Right? The lion's not God. And Goliath, you sure ain't God. Yes? How's he kill him? Anybody know? A sling and a stone. Yes? Anybody, how many stones did he pick up? Five. How many giants were there, by the way? How many brothers does Goliath have? Four. How many rocks did he use to kill Goliath? You know, if you ever see it in a movie, he like misses the first 18 times, right? And then miraculously, right before he dies, he, it's, it's not what happened. He walks out and he says to him, Speared, you got a sword. You've got a shield. I've got God. And I'm going to take your head off. And I'm going to take your head off. Dead. And then he goes, listen, he goes over, and a sword that he probably can't even pick up, chop, chops his head off and says, it's over, it's over, it's over. Now listen, listen, that's a very graphic picture, yes? This is, listen, this is why, this is why the, the strongholds in our lives beat us, because we can't fight with them. They're too big for us. Do you understand? You. Listen, listen, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Don't measure whether you can do this like Saul and all the rest of the army can, are measuring. Measure it this way. Can God do this? Can God do this? Can God do this? Now, let me, listen, listen, listen. If I said to you, which the Bible says, is there anything too hard for God? 
you would say what? But let me ask you about your prayer life. Because I got a feeling, and if you'll be honest, you'll agree with this, you'll, you'll prove this in your own mind right now, that your prayer life disagrees with you about whether there's anything too hard for God. Yes or no? If I ask you to close your eyes, bow your head for just a moment, and ask you to raise your hand right now, is there anybody who's ever not trusted God for somebody? How many of you would have to raise your hand? Raise your hand if you'd have to raise your hand. Right? Not trusting God. Listen, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm just being honest with you. Why? Why don't you trust him? Why don't you trust him? Are you a new creature or not? Yes or no? See, if you're not a new creature, you got nothing. If you're not a new creature, you got nothing. If you are a new creature, you got everything. You understand? If you are a new creature, then there's nothing, there's nothing standing in your way to ask God to do the things that are good, godly things that need to be done in your life. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. And there's nothing too hard for God. How many of you, listen, listen, listen. How many of you need somebody like Rich Carazzoni to get saved? Anybody? How about Rich Carazzoni right now with his own grandmother? Amen? Is God able to save her? He's able to save Buddy Rock. Right? Right? He's able, he's able to save my grandmother. He's a, and, I, and, and again, I've said this many times, I've never met anybody meaner than my grandmother. And God loved her and forgave her and saved her as an old, old lady who had almost no time left to live. That's how great he is. That's how great he is. So listen, listen, when you pray, when you talk to God about things, if you've got to be honest about not trusting him, then at least be honest with him about not trusting him. Do you understand what I mean when I say that? Lord, I believe... Help thou mine unbelief. I don't trust you. I don't trust you. God, listen, I'm going to keep reading because I want to get a little further than we've been. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord, verse 7. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Now, I just want you to see this. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive a crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that loved him. So listen, so we're going from trusting God when you pray Two, let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted and let the one that is rich, by the way, rejoice in that he is made low. So what is God saying? That's a a tremendous truth. Now, here's what he's not saying. Uh, God is no respecter of persons. That's the biblical truth, but that's not what he's saying here. Here's what he's saying. Listen, 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 listen. He's talking about real poor people and real rich people. That's actually what he's talking about, okay? So let's take this. You can be whichever one you want to be, right? You can pretend to be one of the rich ones if you want to, even if you're not rich. God is saying, let the brother of low degree, let the person who has nothing rejoice in that I have now given you everything. 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 Let the brother of low degree understand that he has everything he will ever need. Now listen, listen. But let the rich man rejoice in that I'm pointing out that his riches are of no value to him at all. That's a tremendous truth. A tremendous truth. Listen, listen. Say, I have nothing. God says, that's okay, you don't need anything. I've got everything. 
You say, but I've got everything. God says, yeah, but get rid of it all because it's not doing you any good at all. It's not doing you any good. Listen, you don't have to get rid of your money. You just have to stop. Do you understand? Do you understand? If you, listen, listen, if you're trusting your job or you're trusting anything else, anything for your security than God, then you're not trusting God. Do you understand? Now listen, God, that's a tremendous thing. Can you imagine being a baby, and some of you already know what I'm talking about. Can you imagine being a baby Christian and suddenly God saying, starting to really make you sick about your own money? I mean, you actually have money and God is really starting to say, look, you know, I remember, I remember, um, when Tim went on the, Tim Dryley, Tim Dryley, missionary to Italy now, uh, married, has children. When he went onto the mission field, he went onto the mission field as a single man with a retired Navy SEAL pension, okay? And he was in Russia, which cost rubles, literally, to live in Russia. They, they kept kicking him out of Russia. No joke, they kept kicking him out of Russia. He, you know, he said, Pastor, why do they keep kicking me out of Russia? I said, because you were a Navy SEAL. You know what I'm saying? They say, yeah, you're a missionary in my eye. You're a spy. That's what you are. They kept finding problems with this paperwork. You know what I'm saying? You've got to go now. Over and over and over again. You've got to leave. You've got to leave. But one time he was, he was, he was, um, he was uh, talking to somebody in Russia, and they were asking about his life before he was giving the gospel. And they said, they asked him what he did and, you know, how he got there and stuff like that. And somehow he, he, the fact that he'd retired had come in, that he had a military retirement, and, and he said this, he, the guy said, oh, it must be easy to trust God when you have a retirement like that. And this is what he said, no, it's easy to trust my retirement when I have a retirement like that. Amen? He don't trust that now. <laughs> He's living in Italy, cost of living, big different. Wife, two children, his, his retirement means almost nothing anymore. Do you understand? Do you understand? Because, but listen, now who's he trust? Now he trusts God. God wants you to understand. Listen, oh, this is such a tremendous blessing. Pray to me. Talk to me. What do you need? What do you need? You say, well, I have all these things. Yeah, those aren't helping you. They're not helping you. Listen, brother rich, the, the rich brother, understand, let me bring you low. Let me bring you low. Let me cause you to understand your wealth means nothing. It, we're not taking our wealth to heaven, and your, health won't, your wealth won't help you get to heaven. Listen, listen, it is very easy. It is very easy. Let's not take wealth. Let's just take intelligence, whatever it is, whatever you're trusting in, whatever you're trusting in, Whatever you're trusting in that isn't God, stop it. Do you understand? Stop it. Trusting God based upon our circumstances. And God said, that's not prayer. That's not Pray, period. Period. Doesn't matter what it is. Just trust God. I want to read it again. Listen, you take this with you this morning. Let the brother of low degree, let the brother who has nothing... Rejoice in that he is exalted. God is giving him everything he needs, but the rich in that he is made low because, now notice this, as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. Why, listen, listen, look up here. Look, look. As the flower of the grass. So the rich man is like the flower of the grass, right? What does that mean? Look out in the field. There are no flowers in our field right now. But if there were, is the flower more exceptional than the grass itself? Yes or no? Yeah, of course, it's a flower, right? Yes? When Greg mows, we have rose bushes out here in front of the church. When Greg mows the grass in front of the church, does he mow the rose bushes too? No, they're flowers. You don't mow the flowers. You mow the grass. The grass is useless. The grass is nothing. The grass is lowly. But guess what? When the, when the sun comes out, guess what dies? Everything. 
right? <laughs> Listen, um, it has rained here. Nothing's dying here right now, right? No. You know, all of your weeds are doing really well right now. Yes? You couldn't kill them if you wanted to, right? <clears throat> but but, but uh, Brother Eric was talking about where he's living. He said the grass at his house is the same color as the carpet in our sanctuary. For those of you watching on video, that's a brown carpet, okay? It's not green at all. But listen, listen. The flowers can't live any better than the grass can when the hard things come into your life. Do you understand? Listen, do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand? Do you understand what the word is, the God is saying right here? You say, I have some money. Oh, you're a flower. Good for you. Guess what? The sun will kill you just like it will kill the grass. Do you understand? I don't think you do. Either I'm not saying it well, you're not listening well, one or the other. Your money is just like being a flower. If you're trusting in your ability, you're trusting in the fact that you're better than the grass around you. You're not better than the grass around you. None of us are better. And none of us have any strength to withstand the actual heat of the sun. None of us. None of us. But God can preserve us all. Do you understand? God can preserve us all. This is how you need to pray. This is how you need to trust God. This is how you need to live in your daily life in the temptations that come to all of us. You say, I have nothing, just like everybody around me. I have nothing, but I have God just like they do. I have God just like they do, and that's all I need. That's all I need. Whatever it is that you need, really need, to be dealt with in your life, Trust God for it, not your ability and not somebody else's ability. Two flowers get together and say, we'll survive the sun together. If we're going to do that, by the way, I want you to be the flower on top. Okay, amen, because we can't save each other. Do you understand what I'm saying? It makes no sense. Collectively, we can bless each other. We can help each other. But God had better be working through us or we have no strength to be able to help each other. Do you understand? So we must trust God. We must believe what God says at his word. I'll close with this. Because this is the last verse, verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth, that does go through this, that remains under, by the way, it's hupomeno. God, blessed is the man that remaineth under, that understands and lives through the temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. And I'm going to end with this. I'm only ending with this because of time. We'll come back to this next week. If you don't have the real thing, you're not passing this test. Do you understand? Do you understand? If you lie about it, you're, you're doomed. You're doomed. But if you'll be honest about it, you can go back to the beginning and get saved. Do you understand? Do you understand? What God is saying is this. I'm going to prove to you what you actually have. I'm going to prove to you what you actually have. I'm going to prove to you what you actually have. Do you have the real thing or not? Do you have the real thing or not? I'm going to prove it to you. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with me. I will rescue you. I will save you. If you have the real thing, stop trusting in yourself. Stop trusting in me. If you can't trust in God, it's because you don't have the real thing. If you do have the real thing, you will have victory in your life, but you won't be the one that brings it. And then when I talk to you about, man, man, Kenny, what a great man of God you are. Kenny's response is, but I'm not. But I'm not. But God is great. I'm just a man who has God living within him. 